podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's Sam Maximan. Oh, it's brilliant. Taken away by Wiggs. Let's see Oh, it's glorious. And it's Ward Prowse. He strikes it. Bamford shot. Oh, brilliant. The Pogba. Oh, what a finish. Came out to him. Menez. Picked that one out. What a goal by Harry Kane. Saka, 2-0. Jesse Lingard, oh, thumping finish. The champions of 2021 are Manchester City. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable. With your host, Tariwa Chanakira. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Tad Predictable, episode 73. And we are continuing the series that we have been doing this off-season. It's the State of the Nation Address. And I'm, I'm joined by none other than the host of the EPL Roundtable. You've heard me promoting it throughout the season. If, you, if you're a listener that has been listening throughout the season. And it will be no different today. I will be promoting it again. But... Many people probably don't know Kev, uh, and it's Kev DeVries that's joining me, that you are a Tottenham fan, because as a host, you kind of have to be quite neutral in certain situations. So you get to at least be a fan on this show. (laughs) Is that throwing you off a little bit? (laughs) Maybe a little. I think my bias might slip out every now and again. But yeah, as a former sports journalist and current host, yeah, I don't... I don't get to let my color show too much all the time. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a bit different, but looking forward to it. Awesome stuff. Well, you can wave the flag. You can throw banners around all you want. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Kev, we're talking about Tottenham Hotspurs. And obviously, um, it's an exciting time, in my opinion, to be a Tottenham fan because it starts with who you have as manager. You've got, in my opinion, one of three best managers in the Premier League. Some would argue top two. Some would probably put him, you know, in the conversation for the best manager. But at the very least, I think he is one of the three best managers in the Premier League. And he lands at Spurs, a club that I don't think I'm being too harsh in saying this, but I didn't expect him to come to Spurs. Um, But I think it's just exciting to have Conte in how how did you feel when initially the rumors of him and then you end up obviously with Nuno which is a bit of a difference there uh no offense to Nuno and then obviously you got the backroom staff as well you got uh Paratici that comes in from Juventus we know what his reputation brings but that whole background of Spurs you know the shift from Mourinho the shift from Nuno to bringing in a Conte who maybe is more short-term than Nuno's long-term vision for Spurs. And then Paratici, where he fits in and trying to get the business done on on his side of things. How have you felt that they've blended into the the Spurs family? Yeah, well, obviously Paratici came first. And and, uh, to your point, I don't think Conte is at Tottenham if Paratici isn't our sporting director. Also, uh, if Daniel Levy was still running the show, I don't think we'd be facing any of this excitement that we that we currently have. But 
uh, yeah, obviously that that false dawn in the summer where it seemed like Conte was coming. Um, and you already knew things were a little sketchy because like even Tottenham journalists that were, you know, being briefed by the club were uh, pointing out some of the flaws that Conte had previously had about needing a certain amount of money to bring in a certain style of player that he's only going to be there two years, all this stuff. So then when it fell through, like the fan base was crushed, but some people got to be like, told you so, which was not super fun. You mentioned Nuno. That just, I just feel so bad for how that whole situation played out. And it also, I think, represents um, Partici's two biggest missteps. One, which was hiring Nuno Espirito Santo in the first place. And the second was, in case people don't remember, Daniel Levy in his chairman's address at the last match of the previous season after firing Mourinho the week of a cup final, hiring Ryan Mason short term, and then obviously deciding to move on after that, was that he said that Tottenham were going to get back to free-flowing, attacking football. But here's the problem with Nuno Espirito Santo is that's not who that is. So allegedly, Partici had to like prove to Daniel Levy that he was capable of playing uh, a more attacking brand of football. I think he showed him clips of his Valencia team, who I think finished top four in La Liga, if memory serves. Um, and so to like further prove that he could play this attacking style instead of playing his back three that obviously works so well for him at Wolves, where they were kind of typically trying to go for one no wins, uh, he decided to make him play a 4-2-3-1. And the problem with this is he was so committed to this idea that we bought a bunch of players that fit a 4-2-3-1 that do not fit a system that starts with a back three, regardless of whether you know it's a 3-4-3 or, or any of the other combinations you want to do, a 3-5-2, etc. So all of a sudden, the club is now, air quotes, burdened with player like Emerson Royale, a really quality defensive right fullback that's now being forced to be an attacking wingback. Kind of doesn't work. His best five games of the season were the last five games of last season. Helped us get Champions League, not trying to cut him short of that. But you get situations like that. You get situations like Brian Heal, where all of a sudden his position kind of doesn't exist in Conte's system. How is he going to fit in? Obviously, uh, you can't hold him to to the torch for some of the uh, underperforming players from previous regimes. But those are just two really big examples of players that were brought in for Nuno long term. When we knew we weren't committing to Nuno long term, we both had a chance to get out of that contract after one year. Like, the idea was for it to work, but we already had planned in case that it didn't. So it's very odd that we invested that way. So Paratici's first, like, two months were horrible. He brought in a bunch of players that ended up not fitting the system within three months. And he brought in a manager that didn't end up lasting three months. So that was all kind of the bad stuff. But ever since then, it's been nothing but, you know, upswings. Obviously, bringing in Conte. Uh, the moves in January, I, I think at the time received a lot of criticism because we got rid of four senior players right after we had a COVID outbreak at the club. Obviously, uh, Spurs fans are used to uh, wanting to bring in players, but uh, losing players first, I think, was was a little jarring. Um, <clears throat> but in Dombele, Lo Celso, Brian Heal, I want to say there was one more in January that went out. Oh, Delhi. Um <clears throat> ultimately made the squad stronger. And that's what Conte said after that window, that the squad was thinner, but more complete. And I think we saw that with the introductions of, of the two Juventus players, Dejan Kulisevsky and Rodrigo Bentancourt, because I, I think you'd agree with me, Tad. Tottenham don't make top four if they don't bring in those two players. I mean, Kulisevsky had an unreal second half of the season, double-digit double goal and assists um, combined, not each, obviously, um, was obviously huge. Bentancourt comes in, and when we signed that, we still think that that Oliver Skip is going to play again that season. 
he ends up missing the entire back half of the season. So we would have really been in a, a worrisome spot without him coming in because it would have basically been Harry Winks and Pierre-Emile Hoybier as our only two central midfield options. And if either of them get hurt, I don't know what you're doing. Are you trying Dyer as a defensive midfielder again, like four years after we proved that didn't work? <laughs> so anyway, uh, obviously bringing Conte, like you said, world-class manager, the the business that Perosici did in January, absolutely crucial. Getting out the players that didn't particularly want to be there or in Heel's case just weren't ready to be there. Bringing in players that were ready-made um, was obviously a huge step. And obviously that bleeds into this summer, which we'll get into in a second. <laughs> and like, yeah, as you said about Conte, he, easily top five in the world, very confident in top three in the Premier League. Um, the issue is that he's a very short-term project kind of guy. Now, did he have a quote today talking about how he needs to be at Tottenham for years to fulfill his vision? Uh, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> but we haven't really seen that from him at clubs previously, which has also informed our transfer policy, which, again, we'll get to in a second. But the way he sets up his teams, the autom- the automation, sorry, or automatisms. Mm, I'm getting my football terminologies mixed up from different <laughs> clubs. But <clears throat> regardless, the way that he prepares players so that in frequently occurring situations, they there's like a trigger in their minds as to what they're supposed to do, which frees up all the creativity for when they face situations that they aren't used to, to facing, I think is a really good way of like limiting cognitive load for players. And then obviously the fitness is insane. The fact that he knows what a big club is supposed to look like. And I think that's really a big thing for both Prachi and Conte is that means Daniel Levy can actually take his hands off the reins. They know what they're doing they're just trying to make Tottenham Juventus and the myriad other clubs that they've been at that have been world-class clubs and we weren't close so you know there's there's a lot of positive steps on that journey to try to reach that level obviously the stadium's doing it on the financial side they're doing it on the football side um but yeah it, it's just absolutely brilliant to see and there's obviously an excitement going into the season the way we finished the year uh, obviously couldn't have gotten forth without Arsenal slip-ups but we put ourselves in the position so if they did slip up We'd get there, including, obviously, the huge 3-0 win uh, in the North London Derby in the second or third last week of the season. Um, So all that's bleeding through. Kane's happy. Son's happy. Uh, (laughs) Squad's aging. That's not really arguable. But but we have been bringing in players that, in theory, would be part of this run and then also be the foundation for the next one, um, which, which I think is a good example of squad building that maybe Tottenham haven't always had. Like, we've always bought players for the future, but sometimes those windows didn't overlap particularly well, which would prevent, like, true progression. You know, probably the Poch years as the main um, version where all the young players were in at the same time and all grew together. But, yeah, very very excited. Obviously pleased with making Champions League. Didn't think there was a chance in hell, to be honest, going into last season. I think I predicted we'd finish seventh under Nuno. Um, So... Uh, and that might have been optimistic given the last month of his reign. Um, but yeah, Conte coming in, being as brilliant as he is, immediately feeling his his imp- his impact on the club, both on the pitch and uh, you know the pressure that he applies to the club when it comes to signings and stuff like that has been fantastic. And <laughs> I've said this elsewhere, I'll say it now, uh, Tottenham are about to have their best season that I've seen as a fan, and I'm still not confident that's any better than third. Gareth Bale is looking at you and thinking, what more did I have to do in that season <laughs> to claim that this is going to be the best? But I do get where you're coming from um, with with that shout. A, a couple of things. Um, from my perspective with um, Paritici, the when he came in, um, I think one thing that was lost with a lot of fans, either with Spurs fans or just general 
Premier League fans that um, keep an eye on Spurs is that he comes in just before a transfer window starts. So, mm. you know, behind the scenes stuff, these guys work on these deals and transfers a lot, a lot longer than people think. It's not like the moment the transfer window starts, that's when they start discussing things with other people. I know their rules and the media and all of that stuff. It, it, it appears as though a lot of these negotiations happen after the window starts, but behind the scenes, a lot of these discussions happen before. So him coming in just before the window starts, I think he just thought, let me go to what I know. Who's on my list of players that I've looked at? Who's on, you know, the, mm. you know, the, the Italian players that I know, who, who are the people that I can bring in? Luckily, Romero was on one of those because I think he's fantastic. But like, I think he went with something that was really familiar to him because he didn't have time to figure out what exactly is going to be the need for Spurs. That That's what I thought going into that first window. And then, as you said, going into January and then this transfer window that we're going to go a bit deeper into, you can start to see them molding, you know, the the what Peritici knows and what Spurs need. And getting that mesh and, and, and trying to then move forward from there. Um, with Conte, the one thing I'll say, and I'm, I'll be very cautious saying this, and maybe I should put a warning before I say this, but Conte, as you mentioned, short-term manager, you know what you get from him in terms of he's coming in to win a trophy in a short period of time. If you get three years, you're lucky. You know what I mean? Those type of situations. But in those three years, he's going to deliver a trophy. I have a little bit of comparison in terms of similarity with Klopp and Liverpool in the sense that Klopp was a six years, five years, I come in, we try and win, and then I'm out. Like, it's too draining for me. I can't stay for longer than that. I was convinced Klopp was not staying at Liverpool after, you know, um, after this season, his contract would have expired next season. I, I, I'd already said about his family. Exactly, he was like it's up to them, all that stuff. Yeah, because he does. He says I commit a lot to it, and it's a bit unfair on my family to then ask them to, you know, to commit more than that. We need a break. We need to reconcile, get back together, and all of that good stuff. Um, so I was convinced Klopp wasn't staying beyond his previous contract and I was okay with it you know we had we've had good times I'm fine with it but what Liverpool have been able to do is when Klopp asks for something they're able to deliver it now if Spurs can do the same with Conte is there a reason for him to leave like and I, I know and and I and I gave the warning beforehand so maybe don't get too excited Spurs fans. <laughs> I'm not promising he's staying you know, for a Arsene Wenger or Alex Ferguson stint. But I do think there is value in... I've, I've been to Spurs uh, Tottenham Stadium more than any other stadium in, in, in the UK. Uh, just proximity and, and, and other things. The love that he gets from the fans, the love that he shows for Spurs is a bit different. I didn't see that from him with Chelsea. And maybe I'm being harsh on Chelsea fans, but... If they can deliver what he asks every season, is there really a reason for him to leave? That that I'll leave that as a nugget. Take it or leave <laughs> it. Um, I know it's a dangerous thing to say because Conte could leave tomorrow, knowing Conte, <laughs> he's that type of person. But um, yeah. but the interesting thing, and we'll move on to 
the business that Spurs have done um, this summer with this thought is the whole short-term versus long-term mindset. We know Conte is here to win trophies in a limited period of time, but also Spurs, the football club, is going to survive beyond Conte. Even if Conte stays 20 years, Spurs need to exist after the fact. So we've seen certain signings. I'm going to throw Jed Spence in there, for example, where I'm pretty sure that's more a club looking at a plan saying 13 million for a right wing back or right back that could be special. We have to bring him in. We can't ignore that. Whether or not that's a contest signing, I would personally say that's not a contest signing. It doesn't look like a contest signing, but that's where that like synergy, I guess, needs to come into place. Do you worry about that synergy um, in terms of there might be signings like a Jet Spence? And if, if it's not, you can correct me. But a signing like that where the club is saying, look, this this is a long-term signing. We know it's not necessarily with your philosophy based on the signings that we've made, but it's just an opportunity that we cannot, you know, miss. Do you mm. do you worry about that kind of conflict happening, or is it is it just one of those where it's it's the course of doing business? <laughs> it might be the latter. We're like, we gave you a thirty three year old. You have to let us have a twenty three year old. It could could be a situation like that. Um, yeah, your your abs- your instincts are right. Conte did come out and straight up say that it was a club signing, um, but that he has a, an exciting future and has a role to play at the club. Um, I don't think he plays over Doherty, and apparently he might not play over Lucas, who apparently now might be <laughs> a right wing back right-wing himself. Back. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I'm not I'm not as worried about the con conflict between Conte's mindset and the club's mindset I'm more I don't know if worried is the right word because I'm excited about it in the short term and and think it's the right choice because as you said this is going to be our best window at winning something Kane, Son, Hugo all still at the club Conte at the club Um, this is is, going to be our best window here for a while I think but I I think the question is are we selling out the future a little bit for a few good years I think the answer is yes and then it's worth it if you actually win something and if you don't, then kind of what was that the the point over that period? Um, so that is obviously the concern with bringing in somebody like Perisic or yet again failing to bring in an a air quotes heir apparent to Hugo Lloris by bringing in maybe for the third or fourth straight year uh, an aging goalkeeper to back up Hugo. Um, that's not particularly ideal. Uh, and as we were kind of joking about before we hit record, that. The Tottenham's transfer strategy is no longer bring in like European Bundesliga, the the players that everybody loves and gets in football manager or whatever that five years from now could be world class. That is not the point of this window. The point of this window is bringing in players that can fit Conte's system, are familiar with either him or the Premier League, and can basically play tomorrow. Um, and that's very clearly what the intent is here. The one thing I don't want to get lost in that conversation, though is that while some of these are overpays, Richarlison feels like a very heavy overpay, but Conte wanted him, fits the system, covers the whole front three, fine, whatever. And that's kind of the situation we're in. It's just, is that how much it costs to fix this problem? Great, there's the money. Um, But I think the thing that's kind of being missed here is that a lot of these players, as I kind of alluded to in the opening section there, are actually capable of being part of Tottenham's next period, right? Kane and Son, both going to be in their 30s by the end of the season. 
So you bring in Richarlison, who's in his mid-20s, I think, 25 or 26, if memory serves. Yves Basuma, still relatively young. Spence, very young. Like, there's there's a core building here, and we'll get to some of the players that are on, on the on the outgoings, but there's kind of a young core bubbling under what is kind of an aging first 11. Um, so while I'm a little concerned that we're selling the future uh, for a few good years, some of these players will still be around. Whether or not they provide the value that we paid for them, not so sure. Uh, whether or not we're able to move on the players that we bring in, probably on higher wages, like a player that comes in on a free like Perisic, uh, or whether we're ever able to to sell, you know, uh, other players that are on high wages, which Paratici, that's been his big weakness throughout his career, is getting rid of the players, not so much the bringing in the players. Um, all those could be issues, but I, I'm comfortable enough. You know, it's not my money, right? I'm comfortable. And we, how many times have Spurs won the net spend thing? And it not mattered at all on the football pitch. So I'm fine with us overspending. I'm fine with us signing players that are closer to their primes than we have previously. But because the, like, air quotes prime of footballers has shifted earlier, like, no longer is it like, oh, he's 28. He's finally in his prime. Players' primes are, like, 23 to 30. Um, so the fact that we're bringing in players that are kind of in the middle of that period, we aren't expecting them to grow into anything but but what they are. Like, do I think Richarlison is going to suddenly become a world beater? No, I, I think he's largely the player that he's going to be. That's just a very effective forward that's capable of covering the front three, capable of scoring goals, capable of heading the ball, capable of holding a play. Like, that's that's just kind of the strategy now. So you're absolutely not wrong. This is a far more short-term approach, but it might not be as damaging as people think in terms of the squad build, uh, but I do admit that it's it can be damaging financially. And the thing is, when you get players like Richarlison, and I, I never get people that get really tribalistic with specific players in the team. So, for example, you mentioned how Kuliszewski comes in, hits the ground running, obviously a young player. So I, I kept warning Spurs fans, look, he's not going to be consistent. He's too young. Like you can't expect consistency, but he's mm. really talented. Um, but for me, um, you know, when I discuss Richarlison with people, there's a lot of people that are like, well, where's he going to play? We've got Kuliszewski. My way of looking at it is if Richarlison is starting, that's fantastic for Spurs because it means he's keeping Kuliszewski on the bench and we've <laughs> yeah. seen the level Kuliszewski can bring. So that, do you get what I mean? He's not going to get on the team just because of his price tag. He'll get on the team because of merit. And if he's keeping a guy mm. like Kuliszewski on the bench, it means he's probably scoring a goal a game or getting a, an assist again. You know what I mean? That's the level totally. that's been expected. So I'm okay with that. With the price for Richarlison... I'm with you. I thought it was a bit pricey. Considering what Conte needs at the moment, fine, pay it. But my mm. only concern is I'm still worried, and we'll get to it, I'm still worried that we're not able to sell players at least for a good... Well, we've got the Bergwijn price, which I thought was really good. But like we still haven't been able to sell players well. So it's all fine and good getting the Richarlisons in for a, a premium price, but you balance that out with the Basuma that comes in for a discount price, in my opinion. So if you take those two together and you're saying you're paying, you know, 78 million for the pair of them, I think that's pretty decent. Um, but yeah. can we then recoup that money in, in, in sales? And we've seen, you know, this season with Man City, they're able to sell players. 
We've seen in the past Liverpool are selling players. I mean, Necker Williams went for 70 million. So that side of things still needs to get worked out. But a Richarlison coming in, at the very least, the level isn't going to drop too much um, when he comes onto the field. And you know what? In some situations, the level might go up um, because he's got that potential. Whether or not he can fulfill it, we'll see. But we'll move on to the next signing. It's Yves Basuma, the signing that's probably, in my opinion, the most exciting signing. Obviously, there's the behind-the-scenes stuff, which um, yeah. it, it has to be addressed. For me, personally, I, I wouldn't have signed him because of that, because I just think I don't want that in my club. But we've seen in the past clubs do sign players, it, it, you know, despite what's happening off the field, it happens. Um, but what he delivers on the pitch, and maybe we can focus on that for a little bit, is what he delivers on the pitch is a player that, as you were hinting at, similar to Richarlison, either a player that knows Conte's system or a player that is comfortable in the Premier League. And Basuma at times has bossed a midfield on his own at Brighton. Like I've seen him be in a midfield mm. partnership with Lalana and still boss a midfield. Um, and maybe I'll get heat from Liverpool fans because I'm mentioning Lalana in a, in a negative way. I, look, I thought, he had, <laughs> I thought he had three good months at Liverpool. The others were okay. But anyway, I'll, I'll take that heat from, for, for that. But is Basuma, I think, coming into that Spurs team, bringing in a, a, a presence that can dominate midfields, and I hinted at the fact that I've been to uh, Spurs Stadium more than any other stadium in the UK. There's no one I liked watching live more than uh, Dembele. Um, just because he was just so confident on the ball. He walks onto the field and everyone knows that he's the main man um, on the field. And... So when Musa Dembele, I remember, for example, one of the games, uh, I think you guys were playing Monaco in the Champions League and he was on the bench and you guys were struggling to get a grip of the game and you could almost sense that everyone's looking on the bench say, when are you bringing Musa on, mate? Um, and he comes onto the field and he struts onto the field like, okay, okay, I know we've been struggling. I'm going to sort this shit out. Like, that's the kind of feeling I get from Basuma. Like, he could be a dominant man in midfield that... If anyone's in trouble, give me the ball. I'll sort it out. I'll figure it out. Mm. And having someone like that in the midfield, I think is really important for Spurs because I thought that was missing last season. Do you get that same feeling from him? Uh, obviously, I haven't got to see him play for Tottenham a lot, but he sure has wrecked our midfield <laughs> several <laughs> times uh, from the other side. Um, yeah, I, I really like the signing of Basuma. I'm just very curious how we're going to use him. I think he's one of those players that has so much versatility to his game that there's a chance that you develop him wrong. I do still think there's upside on Basuma, obviously, by the way, and I do think he's already good. But the question is, what role is he going to fill? Because in the preseason, he, he hasn't played many matches. Obviously, he got COVID basically the second they touched ground in, in South Korea, and then he had to stay late to quarantine before he was able to fly back. But in the, in the I think he's done two matches now with Hoybier, and in both of them, Hoybier has been the one moving forward, and I really hope we aren't going to get a player like Yves Basuma and just have him be a holding midfielder and just be like, stay back and mop up everything. Um, because as you say, he he can have such an impact on the match. Uh, his ability to shift his weight is Dembele-esque. Totally agree with you on that front. Um, 
And <laughs> uh, this didn't end up being true later in Dembele's career because he ended up being fantastic. But I'll never forget it. It's one of the best quotes I've ever heard, which was on Musa Dembele's best day, you can't get the ball off him. And on his worst, why would you want to? Um, and I feel like there's a little bit of that with with Basuma as well. But um, yeah, the, the big question is just for me is, is what's the pairing? Because there are crossover similarities. I'm not saying their player IDs are all that similar, but but all four of our central midfield options, assuming that we're getting rid of Harry Winks, have a lot of similarities to their game. Like Skip, Hoybier, Bentancourt, and Basuma have all already been labeled defensive midfielders in their careers, but all have driven more forward in different opportunities. Hoybier is more of a creative player for Denmark. Basuma obviously has to carry the show when he's on international duty, and, and there wasn't loads of creativity in Brighton side, so he often had to provide that, either with his dribbling, with his passing, obviously has a decent shot on him um, at times. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little wayward, but, you know, he's a midfielder. Um, and Bentancourt as well, who, when we signed him, Juve fans were like, no, you just play him at the base of your midfield. And so some people thought it was a bad signing because we already have Hoybier to do that. But to view like any of them as just a defensive anything, I think is really selling them short. So now the question is, assuming that you're probably doing basically a double pivot because you don't want to pin any of them to that one role. And since there are only two of them, there's no number 10. And it's basically just your wingbacks providing um, most of your opportunities. So you need at least one of those midfielders pushing forward is which to pair together the best. And I think... The ultimate goal would be Basuma and Skip, both because of age profile and because of ability. But I think Hoybier Basuma is probably going to be the pairing for the majority of the season, just because the one big weakness in Hoybier's game, well, I'd like him to pass better, but the, the bigger weakness in his game, especially if you're going to have him being the one more focused on tracking back, is kind of a lack of pace. And Basuma is very capable of covering large swaths of the pitch, much as Dembele did, um, which should alleviate that to some extent. So I, I think that'll be the pairing. I'm very excited about Basuma. I will be more excited when I understand how Conte intends to use him and how he intends to shift the purpose of our midfield to this year. Last year, for the majority of the time, Benticorn Horvier were just defending and sitting in front of the back three and making sure there weren't any mistakes, cutting down the amount of balls that make it through the back line etc so we'll see we'll see how it works out very excited about that but uh i know you said to focus on the on-pitch stuff but i genuinely think that the reaction of spurs fans and neutrals to this signing has been significantly dampened because of the off the field issues whereas if none of those issues had existed i think people would be looking at this transfer way more as like a this could be a transformative signing for spurs and even as you're hearing me talk about the situation, I'm not even sure he's clearly starting, even though based on his previous Premier League resume, you'd assume that he would. So I still think there's like a blend of the two, even when people are trying to talk about the footballing side, that they're still accounting for the off-the-pitch stuff as well. Definitely. And and I think the the thing for me, especially on the on-field side of things, is Basuma is one of those midfielders that, with a manager of Conte's caliber, he could turn him into whatever he wants. Like, the attributes are there. If you want him to be a defensive midfielder, fine. I think that's a bit restricting. But, like, if, you know, yeah. he, can, he can do it if need be. If, if you want him to be more expansive, you, you can get that out of him as well. So, as you said, interesting one to keep an eye on to see what Conte does with him. But let's go to maybe a yin and a yang, you know, of, of the signings. And we mentioned these two signings earlier um, in the podcast. But... We've got Perisic, obviously the, the, the older statesman, 
uh, I won't say old statesman, but older statesman. Um, he's coming <laughs> on a free transfer. Uh, and then we've got Jed Spence coming in as well, 13 million from Middlesbrough. So we got the young and the old. Um, you've mentioned the fact that Jed Spence maybe doesn't even feature too much this season, which is quite interesting. But Perichich, I would assume, is a set it and forget it type type of type of player as long as he can, you know, as long as he's fit and ready for the season. We know he hasn't necessarily been part of a lot of the preseason games, but what were your thoughts on on those two signings and how do you think they're going to impact the season? Yeah, I think Spence is the easier one because I don't think he's going to impact it much, if I'm being entirely honest. I I think Jed Spence would have had a much better first year at Tottenham if we were still like in the uh, European Conference League. That's what it's called, right? Um, We were in it last year, (laughs) already largely gone from memory. Um, But uh, yeah, too much from him right side Perisic on the other side I think is is a very different story entirely I agree with you I think he's mostly going to start matches on the left although it's really interesting because there was kind of a supposition that he was largely brought in to teach Sessegnon how to be Perisic and Sessegnon has already alluded to that in a couple of quotes that Perisic is like basically things about the position which obviously would need to happen for any young player with any older player especially in a system like Conte's Perisic obviously having found great success with Conte, also without him, but also with him. Um, so I, I do think that's really interesting. But I'd assume Perisic starts most matches. But it's worth noting that, you know, with five subs, Conte might genuinely just, like, switch wingbacks <laughs> at 60 minutes every match. So we might see both of them all the time. But you're not wrong. I would expect to see Perisic most of the time, especially because what we saw last year with the two fullbacks turned wingbacks, who both of whom look likely to be moved on, and Sergio Regulon and uh, Emerson Royal, is creativity. Regulon has a decent cross on him, but he has difficulty beating his players, even though he has loads of pace. Um, and Emerson finds himself in space all the time, but to forgive the uh, American sporting expression, it's like when a center has the ball past the three-point line, and the other team's like, it, our time is better spent defending everyone <laughs> else than defending you in this situation. And unfortunately, that situation is just running free on the entire right flank, so uh, that obviously wasn't going to work out too much this season. Matt Doherty obviously had a really good three-month stretch, so I, I think that's the ideal pairing in Conte's mind is Doherty and Perisic. The one reason why I think that uh, Spence might have a chance of breaking through earlier is that he has a dynamism that none of our other options do um, in terms of how quickly he can accelerate, how how committed he is to beating players in front of him. Because even Sessegnon kind of hesitates when he's like faced one-to-one. Um, so I'm very excited about that. And obviously having pace on one side with an older Perisic on the other side might ultimately be, bring better balance to the team. But the fact that he's as uh, cultured as he is, the fact that he has as good a cross on him as he does, the fact that he's nearly as two-footed as Son, and there aren't that many players that are that capable of, you know, shifting their weight to, you know, pull pull the ball back, cross it with your right, or drive at you and, and hit it with their left. Um, obviously also has a decent shot on him. Like, if we can get, I don't know, five goals and five assists from Perisic, I'm pretty sure that's more than any of our wingbacks did last year. Um, just trying to think back on it, maybe combined in the Premier League. I don't know. Don't don't count. Don't don't quote me on that. But you get the point. Like we did not get like end statistics from our wingbacks last season, and Perisic might be able to make up for that entire difference just on his own. So yes, he's older. 
Is he going to be at Spurs after two years when he's 35? Probably not. Is Conte going to be here after two years? I'd love for it to be the case. You gave some good reasons earlier. Not very <laughs> confident. Um, so that's kind of the short-term thing we're talking about. Is He is elite right now. He is not fading at 33. For anybody that thinks like Spurs are signing a washed Perisic on a free because Inter didn't want him, uh, you A, don't understand how bad the financial situation is at Inter, uh, and B, haven't watched Perisic because... Ever since the role change, he's just been incredible. He's in absurd fitness levels. Um, so I, I'm actually really excited about Perisic. I agree with you. I think Basuma is probably the air quotes best signing as we think about it in terms of value, the amount of potential he still has to fulfill, his flexibility, all that stuff. Richarlison is probably going to be the most air quotes impactful this season because last year we just gambled on Kane and son not getting hurt for a whole season, which we'd never managed and then finally did. So I think Richarlison is there as like to, to regression proof our front line. Cause as you said, if one of them goes out and Richarlison comes in, the dip is going to be much less damaging than it would have been if we had gone down to Bergvine last year, much though. I love him. He's just not a forward, um, a center forward mind. Um, so anyway, I, I think that's the case. But Perisic, I think, is the one that everybody's sleeping on because they see the age. They see that he's coming from Serie A and they think he's going to need to adjust to the Premier League and stuff like that. But I, I think you're right. I think he's going to start most matches. I think he's going to have a massive impact. And what's embarrassing is he doesn't even have to have a massive impact to be an improvement on what we started most matches last year. Definitely. And, and I think that the important thing for me is if you are signing older players, at least let them come in on a free transfer. And I, I know... The way people look at free transfers, it's not a free transfer. You still have to pay a massive signing bonus. You still have to pay their wages. I get that side of things. But if I'm going to sign an older player, I'd rather not pay a transfer fee on them. So I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm okay with the Perisic coming in for that reason. Um, if I had to pay the, you know, his market value is currently nine million. If I had to pay that nine million, maybe I might look at it differently. But free transfer, okay. We get him a signing bonus. We get the contract in. That's fine for me. As you said, he hits the ground running. Jed Spence, one for the future. I think it's right that the club do have some signings that they can say to Conte, look, we know you're a right now manager, but this is a signing that we can't miss on. We might as well at least get him in. And we're still banking on the fact that you are a wizard with wingbacks. I mean... Victor Moses is still living off of that. Like, <laughs> yep. maybe you can... And he brings a profile something. that we don't have Exactly. Well. exactly. Like, even though he's, so, like, air quotes, not as good, he brings an element that no one else in the squad has. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm all for a signing like that. Um, I'm looking on the run sheet here. We've got Fraser Foster there. I don't think we need to speak too much on him. He's a backup <laughs> keeper coming in. Obviously, we had um, um, Golini coming in last season on loan. Didn't quite work out for him. I think Fraser Foster coming in as a backup is fine. Um, we know that Loris is going to be the starter. No matter how good Foster is going to be, Loris is going to start. So I, d I don't think we need to address him, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, another one of those older player on a free transfer, that's fine. Langlet, though, is very yeah. interesting for me because I, I, I heard you going through, and maybe it ties into the what's left to do that's on the run sheet a bit <laughs> later on. You were talking about, okay, this player is the most impactful. This player maybe is the most important. This player maybe is seen as the best signing. For me, I so what I do before uh, a transfer window starts is I look at all the teams and I say, what do they need? 
Spurs for me needed new two new center backs. That that for me was the most important position to fill because I can get away with. I know they're not world beaters at 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 wing back, and I know it's not the popular thing with Spurs fans because they want really wanted wing backs. I can survive with Emerson and Doherty or Regulon and Sessegnon. I I can I can I can get top four with those people. I've I've shown I can get top four with them, and they're not going to be the reason I don't get top four. But the amount of errors that I see in that centre back position could be a reason why I don't make top four. So for me, I thought the most important position was at the very least getting one center back in that is a guaranteed starter, but definitely two in. Langlack comes in and um you know I've spoken to Spurs fans where they're saying the fact that he's coming on a loan maybe hints to the fact that the players that we did want weren't available. Do you get that feeling with him coming in? Do, uh, am I being too harsh in saying that's the position that Spurs needed to fix above all other positions? Um, because yeah, I've gotten a lot of pushback with regards to which position Spurs needed to fix. Um, you've mentioned, you know, Richarlison, the drop off between Kane and Son and, and everyone else. Um, Basuma, the importance that he could bring into midfield, the wing backs. It was very frustrating for a long time with the likes of Emerson Royale. I thought he ended the season well. I was the way he ended the season. I can survive mm. with that, but but that was my thinking. But Langlet comes in from Barcelona on a loan. Um, is that enough? No. <laughs> In a word, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. Although, uh, our prone nature of our center backs has improved under Conte. And I think a lot of that's the system. And if you'll recall, I mentioned that Hoybier and Bentecourt did most of their matches just protecting that back line, which obviously mitigates that to an extent. Um, I think two is probably right. But if we're... Selling Tanganga and loaning Roden and listening to offers on Devins and Sanchez and you play a back three, that leaves you with four total, which is not probably going to do it. So minimum, I think we need one more. Um, Obviously, the big blow was that our number one target of any position coming into the summer was obviously Alessandro Bastoni. And Inter had to sell somebody to bring in anyone. They haven't sold anyone yet, so they missed out on their two biggest <laughs> targets in Dybala and Gleason Bremer. Um, that's something still has to sh- shift on the Inter side. Uh, it sounds like they've already signed up Milinkovic. Uh, it, well, they've reserved that signing for whenever when Escriniar or Bastoni goes. But Bastoni doesn't want to go. You can't make a player want to go. That really messed with our window. Uh, our secondary target was Jessica Gavardiol. Uh, who might cost like 90 million pounds, uh, which doesn't seem super great spending on, is he like 23? He's pretty young still. He's very young. Um, for, for a player like that, but is obviously already one of the better passing center backs, one of the best driving center backs uh, in world football, especially on that left side. So you're looking at two of the best left-sided center backs, especially capable of playing in a three that are available. And both He's of them- still 20. Oh, he's 20? <laughs> that is... He plays is like wholly... a 23, 24-year-old, to be fair. Yeah, that's wholly unacceptable to me, both as a fan and as a person. Um, <laughs> that he's that young and already that good. But um, you miss out on both of them, right? So then you're starting to look at what are the other options. 
Pal Torres, who I'm pretty confident would not succeed heavily in the Premier League. Um, you just can't be that lightweight and poor in the air <laughs> and, and thrive in the Premier League. Um, uh, a couple of names that I, I thought were interesting that could have done a job, because the, the important thing to remember is that we were trying to kill two birds with one stone, because you're right, we needed two center backs. But if you bring in Bastoni, who's capable of playing both the central role and the left-sided role of Conte's system, you're kind of getting two for one by paying for one player. Because if Dyer goes down, well, let's be honest, Bastoni was always going to start. So if you're imagining that the three is Romero, Dyer, Bastoni, if Dyer goes down, you take Dyer out, you put Bastoni in the middle, and then you just play Ben Davis on the left, who was creditable last year in the job that he performed at left-sided center back. <laughs> if Davis goes down, then you already have um, him to play on the left and then Dyer through the middle. So it, it kind of gave you that flexibility. And then you probably just keep one of Davinson, Tanganga, Broden um, as kind of your extra option, probably on the on the right side. So that, I think that was the idea. Um, Badia Shile, I think, is another player that would be capable of playing centrally and right. The amount of players that are capable of playing both positions in a Conte system is very, very small. And to Longley's credit, he is technically capable of performing both roles. The question is, is he good? (laughs) Unfortunately, I think that's very much in question. I think it is very understandable that a manager like Conte, a director of football like Paratici, somebody like Daniel Levy, looks at a player like Longley, and you're like, we can fix that. The issues of Barcelona... The not tracking off of his shoulder, the own goals, the the passing the ball to an opposing player in his own penalty area, the swiping his leg at seemingly nothing, but they're happening to be a player causing, you know, you to concede a goal in the final minutes of a match. Like, I can see why as one of the best managers in football, as one of the better directors of football uh, in the world, that you look at a situation like that and you're like, that's a, that's a confidence thing, right? He's still young. He just needs a little refining. The talent's there. We, we're the ones that can get it out of him. I totally see why every decent manager would think they could do that. I'm just not sure it's going to work. <laughs> and I don't think he's good enough for you to not bring in another player. My guess is we're going to take one more shot a little later in the window at both Bastoni and Gvardiol, who is just, it's unforgivable that he's only 20 years old. <laughs> um, and then I don't know what happens after that. Do you go after Paul Torres? Do you go after Badia Shield? Badia Shile? Haven't ever been very confident in that. Um, I don't know, but you're right. There needs to be at least one more center back. And if all three of Davinson, Tanganga, and Roden go, you might need another one. <laughs> and it's not looking good. I, I think we're confident on the right hand side. I don't super love Devinson Sanchez. I think he improved a lot last season, but he's had a terrible preseason. If you're saying that he's the right-sided center back back up to um, Romero, I can live with that. There's no point getting somebody better to be a backup to Romero on the right when he's... I I came with my full voice and full-chestedly said on on Dave's show, uh, I already think he's one of the top three center backs in the Premier League. Um, I'm sure some people disagree with that, but let, let's let's just keep an eye on it. Romero is, in my opinion, already nearing world class. Um, Dyer is fine in the middle. He provides what he provides. The fact that he's sitting back further makes a lot more sense. 
Uh, I was worried when Conte came in that he'd be like, uh, the middle of the front three would be more forward. The fact that he's the one that's sitting back and it's Davis making underlapping runs on the left and Romero just being basically given <laughs> carte blanche to do whatever the hell he wants and it seems to work uh, is something I'm comfortable with. Um, but yeah, the the height issue for Davis, the pace issue for Dyer, it just had to be Bastoni. Like, Gvardio, I think, solves the left-sided center-back issue. I don't think we really want him long-term in that central center-back role under Conte. It just has to be Bastoni. And if it's not Bastoni, and you want a player that, if you squint your eyes, is like 60% the player, I totally get how we ended up with Clement Langley. Uh, I think it's fascinating that we declined to have an option put in to buy. Like, we negotiated out of that. that that's fascinating to me. Because if he comes in and it was negotiated, the rumor was that it was like 15 million. I don't know why you wouldn't keep that option for yourself in case you are able to turn him around. But uh, for the season, I get it. But he's a squad body. Uh, He is not meant to be upgrading our back three from last year. And while I think uh, you're more concerned than most Spurs fans would be based on what, you know, we saw over the course of last season, there needed to at least be a better backup than that if not a direct improvement, which I think we were all hoping for, including Conte, was going to be Bastoni. Yeah, um, unfortunate with the Bastoni thing. And as you mentioned, with the, that's where I got the whole feeling. The fact that you guys negotiated out of the option to buy was the feeling that you guys just said, look, the players that we do want that would improve us aren't available at the moment or aren't ready to come to us at the moment, yeah. which is understandable. You know, Bastoni... Maybe he's looking at it and saying, get top four again, and then maybe I'll come to you. You know, like, are, are you guys a top four team or not? Fair enough. Okay, fine. We'll bring Lenglet in. We know that the defensive system that Conte brings in makes it really good for defenders. Um, we'll get top four again, and then we'll bring in the player that we do want. If If that's the situation, fair enough. But if you guys don't want to be on that edge of being like, is is this the best? Is this the safest thing to do? Definitely link up with Liberty Shield. Um, they are a VPN provider. Obviously, they are a presenting sponsor for this show in association with EPLindex.com. They are the number one ranked VPN provider on Trustpilot at the moment, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, so they, they're your set it and forget it. They would be the Bastoni that comes in and you know that they're going to sort everything out for your defense. Um you guys can save with the new coupon code. It's EPL25. You get 25% off of your router or your software VPN. Obviously, um, it's a virtual private network. It's a technology that encrypts your internet traffic to protect your online identity, hide your IP address, and shield your online data from third parties. You guys can change your location. You can avoid geoblocks and government-imposed restrictions to access any website finally go check out epl index shop you can find it on etsy use the coupon code epl10 and you get 10 percent off at checkout now we've discussed langley and kev we might have to bring you on for another episode because i could literally discuss the center back situation for spurs for like <laughs> two hours because that to me that solves a lot of problems but anyway let's move on we're gonna play a game kev it's a you don't have to explain anything. It's just a keep, sell, or loan. With the players that have come back from loan, um, you mentioned the fact that, you know, the Tonga and Dembele's were out on loan. Um, I just need a keep, sell, or loan on 
the following players. We've got Dombele, we've got Lasalso, Brian Hill, um, Papessar, and Alfie Whiteman. They've come back from loans, various reasons why they were out on loan. You need to tell me either you want to keep them, either you want to sell them, or you want to loan them. Are you ready? Yep, let's do it. Okay. Tanga and Dombele. Sell. Hope to never see his face again on the planet of Earth. <laughs> Giovanni Lasalso. Uh Also sell just because somebody will still think they can do something out of him. By the way, the cautionary tale that I was saying about Basuma is what I'm worried about Lasalso. Lasalso was capable of being a center forward, uh, an attacking midfielder, a holding midfielder, a passing midfielder, and everybody just screwed up his development because every club had a different idea. Jack of all trades. Um, Brian Hill. Keep. I genuinely think if we aren't going to sign a number 10 and we've obviously passed on the opportunity for multiple, I think you keep Brian Hill. You keep him as a reserve option for the wings in case you need Richarlison to be the backup for Kane. And then he can also play as a number 10 if needed. Especially with the season where you've got five subs. There's going to mm-hmm. be minutes for him. Um, yep. Papessar, who is a player that Loki I'm very excited for. But anyway, Papessar. I'm also excited about Papesar, but I'll tell you, I, I shouldn't be swayed this heavily by one journalist report, but Ali Gold, who, if people don't follow Tottenham, is like probably one of the best club journalists out there, and it's easily the best one the for Spurs. And he, he is the best for Spurs. Hands <laughs> yeah, down. he's so great. Um, uh, and he was like, I got in an elevator with Papi Matrasar, and I hate to say it, but he just reminds me of a boy still. And oh, so, no. like, in that one moment, I was just like, okay, that's alone again. Get him bulked up. He's so young. He has so much potential. I think he won Young African Player of the Year. He did. Um, so excited for him long term. But he didn't perform super well last year. A lot of people saying that that was the club's fault. Get him out on loan. Maybe in the Premier League. Like maybe send him to the Championship. Send him to Crystal Palace. That, uh, well, they do well with loans. <laughs> they do. I'm not sure if, if he's that year ready. I, I think he's two years away from the senior squad. I think he's on loan at the Championship, on loan in the Premier League, then back to the first squad. But very excited about him long term. One to look out for. Um Alfie Whiteman? Uh, fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> revoke his parking pass. Not, not really an issue. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, that, that was fantastic. That was spicier um, than I expected. It was, it was quite spicy. We got, we got some hot takes in there. Um, but, guys that you've definitely sold. We've done keeps our loan. But, people that you've definitely sold. You mentioned uh, Bergwijn earlier when you were talking about the gap between the forward line and him having to come in. Look, it's one of those players where we'll always have Leicester. Thank you, Bergwijn. We'll always have Leicester. Mm-hmm. But you're just not making the grade. And I thought for a player like him to get 28 million, those are the type of sales I'm looking at Paratici to bring in. Like, uh, that's good money for a player. He goes to Ajax, obviously. Um, were you thinking the same thing? I, I've not met many Spurs fans that were trying to hold on to him. And as I said, it's not it's not personal, Bergwijn. We love you. We know you bleed, you know, the Spurs colors. But business is business. We all, always have Leicester. But 28 million, you can't turn that down. Yeah, I, I largely agree, and you're probably not going to find a bigger Bergvine stand than myself, so <laughs> that probably makes it just empirically true. Um, I think, and I obviously talked to a lot of my friends about what was going on with Bergvine, because he got done really dirty, because he had the Leicester game, which meant we called off talks with Ajax, and then we kept going with the talks for Kulisevsky, who we then signed, was brilliant, and then benched Bergvine the rest of the year. 
Like, in hindsight, why didn't we just sell him? And then having kept him, why was Lucas still the first option off the bench for the wing positions rather than Bergmine? Um, And I think it comes down to one very key Antonio Conte quote where he said he viewed Bergmine as a center forward, which I just, I don't understand. But it's the only thing that explains why he was never coming on for the wide players. And if your gap, as I said before, is Harry Kane to Steven Bergvine in a central role, he's never going to play. Kane never got hurt last season for like the first time in four years, I want to say. So like there was, there just wasn't an opportunity. If you don't think he's coming on for Son, if you don't think he's coming on for Kulisewski, he's only coming on for Kane. Kane plays every minute of every match when he's fit. No wonder he didn't play. Otherwise, you have to start questioning the motives of, of why he didn't come on on the wings. <laughs> I think Bergvine is going to be a fantastic player at Ajax. I think he's going to be one of those players that after his like two-year stint at Ajax is going to tear it up at Bayern Munich. And people are going to be like, ha, huh, aren't Tottenham idiots for not developing, developing him well or for not keeping him? Um, <clears throat> but I just think it, it was the direction it needed to go. Do I wish that the gap between him and Richarlison's price was less than $30 million? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if Richarlison is $30 million better than Bergmine, But like we said, Richarlison is fully capable of playing up front. His stats as a winger and as a forward, this is Richarlison I'm talking about, are actually pretty similar. So knowing that regardless of where he's playing, you're going to get a certain you know result, I think, is is why we opted for Richarlison. But yeah, I, I really miss Bergvine. I I would officially like to announce that I would like Tottenham to stop signing Dutch players. Obviously, DeVries have a fondness for the Dutch national team. And every sign a Dutch player, it, it goes terribly. So just stop it. I like it every time you do it initially. Never ends up working. Leave the Dutch national team alone. Please, Daniel Levy. But yeah, really love really love Steven Bergmine. Probably was time to go. At that price, you know, it, it, fantastic business on our end. But I, I think he'll be worth more than that in a year or two. Yeah, and, and that's fine. That's fine. Like you, you can let a play. At least you didn't let him go for like ten million. At least you got decent money from it. Totally. With the Dutch players, um, I had so much hope for Vincent Janssen, and it was one of those situations where Spurs were kind of handcuffed. They wanted to sign him a year later, and they were forced to sign him a year too early, and it just didn't work out. Up, oh, if he had that extra year, um, it could have been something. Mm. Um. Obviously, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, uh, you know, he's been at Spurs for quite a while. Six million from Celtic. Do we need to speak too much on him? We've mentioned the amount of centre-backs that are there that are looking to leave. Um, if all of them go, the likes of Tanganga, who I think as a squad player, I'll keep him. Um, mm. But yeah, Celtic for six million. He's, <laughs> I thought it was interesting because he's exactly sold for his exact market value. 6.30 million is his market value and he was sold for 6.30 million. So perfect on that one. I think he's yeah. one of those that wasn't going to make the grade at Spurs, but you need these players that come through the youth system that you can sell for decent money. They're going to fund the next three or four players that you do sign in the youth system and you keep that system going. Jack Clark, though, I thought is a lot more interesting because when he came from Leeds, I was very interested in in, in his signing. And maybe it's a different thing in terms of maybe he came, similar to Janssen, came a bit early to Spurs um, and maybe the pressure got him. But he's made a permanent move to Sunderland. But there, there was something potentially there. He's just not made the grade. And then the moment you guys signed Brian Hill, I thought, okay, Jack Clark's not going to have 
too much of a future there <laughs> yeah. at Spurs. Um, it was kind of the writing on the wall. And then obviously Gallini, I, I don't think we need to discuss it too much. It's one of those where, as I was saying, Paratici had a list of players that he came with. If he had maybe had a bit longer to prep for the transfer window, maybe Gallini wouldn't be one of those that he brought in. But it's on his list. It's a player. You brought him in on loan. It didn't quite work out. It's an area of the pitch I do think if you guys want to challenge for the title, you will eventually need to figure out because I have my issues with Larice and parrying the ball into the six-yard box, but that's another tangent. But of those <laughs> players that have gone out, is there anyone that you kind of want to wax lyrical before we discuss what's left for Spurs to do? Uh, no, I just hope that some of the players from the previous keep sell loan section are in this section in future. <laughs> yeah, get them out, get them out. We 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 discussed those, but Kev, um, I mean, I've I've not buried the lead at all with regards to who you know we're discussing what's left for Spurs. For me, it's still that center back position. It's a position that I thought at the beginning of the window you guys needed to address at the very least a an undisputed starter. And and then another center back as well. But Lengle comes in on loan. As I said, maybe it's because players couldn't come in at this point in time. At least you're not spending money on players you don't want to come in. Um, we've seen that from different clubs around um, the Premier League. But I've got here written down, I've got attacking midfielder as well. I don't personally think you do need one. But that always seems to become a talking point with Spurs fans of... Do we need another creative midfielder in there? The likes of Madison, etc., are always being linked. But are those the two positions that you're looking at and hoping they bring in, or are there other ones as well? Um, that's an interesting question. Definitely the center back, as you said. We did not very believe <laughs> that that has been addressed. The attacking midfield one is interesting. I I don't want it to be Zaniolo. To be quite clear. Um, we have enough of his best traits in our other options. A player like Madison, a true number 10, I think the reason why this always comes up with Tottenham is we've had so many good ones over the years. Mm. Historically, obviously great ones. Even in recent memory, you know, Vandervaart to Sigurdsson, who I, I guess we can talk about. Obviously, other issues happened in his career. To Eriksson, um, you can count Deli Ali as well. Like, we've just always had a good player in that area. But the system that Conte has chosen to play with us is not the 3-5-2, despite how well it worked against Liverpool, the first match that we played against you last season. He's clearly committed himself to the 3-4-3, um, with, obviously, Kulisevsky doubling down with bringing in Richarlison, keeping Lucas. We're keeping the wide players and not signing the attacking midfielders. I think Madison, if the deal's there to be had, I think would be a great signing. But is it likely that he's going to come knowing that he's a bench option in a year that he needs to earn a World Cup spot? Probably not. Like, I, I totally recognize the need for a creative passer as a game changer in matches against teams that are set up in a low block that we just can't get our way through. But I, it's going to be really hard to get one of those knowing that they don't even fit your default formation. It's not that there's a player in front of them that they have to beat out. 
footballers' egos are huge. They'd always be like, oh, of course I'll beat that guy up for that job. Your position literally doesn't exist in the formation that Conte has committed himself to. So I, I would be very surprised if we bring in an attacking midfielder, even though I want it a lot. Although apparently we're pushing for Zaniolo. So if you, you're listening to this and hear me saying, I don't like him and it won't happen, uh, and it's already happened, then <laughs> whoops. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't really like that position. I think what's more likely would be, as we have some of these players move on, if another striking target comes on the market, that then Richarlison becomes more of a depth option for the wings. We have a true backup striker to Harry Kane, and then we can loan heal for another year. That that would be my guess. But I think the striker thing and the attacking midfielder thing are all opportunity-based. I don't think we're trying to add those positions. If it's convenient, if the prices are low... If Conte is confident in the player himself and how the player fits within the system, I think it's all possible. But I, I think to your previous point, the only thing we really need to be focusing on is center back, especially if we're letting two or three walk out the door. Definitely. And and as you say, with that that striker thing, that's a, another podcast on its own because Spurs have tried everything. They've tried getting the older senior player. They've tried getting the young promising. It's Anyway, if they become available... If I'd say Lorente worked in Lorente's <laughs> that's, defense. That's the thing. Like, there's different there's different ways that you guys have tried to tackle the player that plays after Kane comes off the field. Um, but, Kev, it's been really fun having you on. Uh, that's going to do it for another episode of A Tad Predictable. Do you have anything you want to plug, put over, or promote before we wrap up? Uh, sure. Yeah, the EPL Roundtable on the same podcast network. Uh, thrown together by EPL Index. So yeah, check out at EPL Roundtable on Twitter or on all of your podcast things. We record Sundays. Shows are in your, uh, I was going to say inbox. That's not how podcasts work. Uh, <laughs> they're available uh, Monday mornings. And I'm Kevin DeBreeze, as you mentioned at the top of the show. You can find me on Twitter at Kevrov, K-E-V-R-O-V. Awesome. Guys, from my end, go and check out EPL Index website. We have match previews, post-match reviews, player performances, all of the news that you guys could wish for in this transfer window. Of course, there's the daily podcast show. It's the two-footer podcast with Dave Hendrick. I was going to say, as I usually do, finally, also check out the flagship show that runs on the EPL roundtable with Kev DeVries, but he's already promoted that. But anyway, screw it. <laughs> Sit he sits down with panelists from respective EPL teams. They do reviewings and previewings of the happenings around the EPL. Uh, follow this show on the Twitter page at a tad predictable. Follow at EPL Index on Twitter. Subscribe to EPL Index podcast channel. Um, guys, do give us five stars. Write positive comments. That stuff goes a long way. Obviously, in anticipation for the new season, get ready to sign up for the predictions show. There are prizes, cash prizes, and you know, gift prizes that go with that one. Um, and the cash prizes are obviously a huge thank you to Liberty Shield. Last season's the £300 cash prize for that one. I've been to the Akira. You can check me on the Twitter handle at TadPredicts. Huge thank you to Obi Semenya. He's at John Empire SA. He does our guest intros and he's working on a new one for next season. Our producer behind the glass, Mr. Guy Drinkle. He's at Guy Drinkle on Twitter. He's been Kev DeVries at Kevrov on Twitter, K-E-V-R-O, K-E-V-R-O-V on Twitter. And remember, Chissinga Perry. Taken away by Wicks. Let's see Oh, it's glorious. Toward Drowsy, strikes it. Bamford shot. Oh, brilliant. The Pogba. Oh, what a finish. Came out to him. Menez. Pick that one out. What a.
a goal by Harry Kane. Saka, 2-0. Jesse Lingard, oh, thumping finish. The champions of 2021 are Manchester City. Sports Social Podcast Network.